Please stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. If you are not physically able, please remain seated. The word of God reads as follows. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may now be seated. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today's teaching. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us into this direction. Thank you for placing it in our hearts to study this book and how blessed we truly are and will be as we study this diligently together. Lord, keep me from error. Use these hands, use these lips, Lord, for your glory and your honor. And we pray today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, before we go back to two, you should have your Bibles. Just quickly go to up, up, up the page to chapter 1, verse 14, 1 and 14. I want to read you this just so you know that Jesus sees everything. Amen. Jesus knows everything. So he writes this letter to the church. This is a direct letter from Christ himself to the church in Ephesus. This comes from him. So I want you to follow along with me right here on the description of Jesus and why he knows and he sees everything. Verse 14 says this, the hairs of his head were what? White like wool, like snow. It says here, his eyes were like a what? Flame of fire. That is in reference to Jesus sees everything. It's a symbolic meaning. It means he sees everything. There's nothing you cannot do that Jesus doesn't know or Jesus doesn't seize. He sees it all. So he sees the work of this church in Ephesus. And he's commending this church in Ephesus at the beginning of the letter. But after commending them and praising them, he then sharply criticizes them. He has to criticize them. And after he criticizes them, he gives them a very comforting comforting word at the very end he's comforting them so in verse 1 right away chapter 2 verse 1 
It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, this church in Ephesus is a wonderful teaching about the structure of the church and why, why uh, we, we are teaching this at Bible study about the book of Ephesians. And this letter is particularly to Ephesus, a church there in Asia Minor. And the, the, the way Paul was writing this letter and the amazing thing that comes from this letter 1 through 3 in chapters 1 through 3 of, of the book of Ephesians, if you've been coming to Bible study, of course, you know that it's how you got saved. And then from 4 to 6, it's your Christian conduct now that you've been saved. So we've been teaching this to you here on Wednesday nights. And Christ writes a letter to this church. And right off the hand, he commends them. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This letter is for the one who teaches at this church. This is the one for who stands behind the pulpit, who is standing behind the pulpit and teaching this word. Now, to be a pastor, and I've spoken to you many times about being a pastor, the responsibilities that we have standing behind this pulpit. It's not like your responsibility when you just sit there. It's mine is much, much more deeper because of what I do behind this pulpit. So I want to make sure when I'm teaching you the word of God, I'm without error. I'm speaking directly from what the word of God teaches so I can relay this message to you. I don't want to read into it and, and take something out that's not there. So I want to give it to you directly. So this letter comes from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And we have so much responsibility as a pastor. If you want to know the responsibility of a pastor, you go to James chapter 3 verse 1. And you can take a note and you can write that down and you can say, my goodness, that's what the pastor has to live by. Chapter 3 and verse 1. But this particular church, as we continue to read, it says in verse 2, he says, I know your works. Well, what is the works? I know your toil and your patient endurance. This church was a strong church in Ephesus. It was a strong church founded by Paul in Asia Minor. It was, it was a strong church. They were strong and they were decisive. They understood the word of God. They stuck to the word of God. They didn't veer from the word of God, but they taught the word of God as it was written. They were strong in the word of God. Amen. Very strong in the word of God. And they were strict adherence to the word. They would never stray from the word. And they were very patient very patient. Well, what were they patient from? At this particular time, there was a lot of false doctrine running around. And so they didn't like it. So they made sure that we stick to the word of God. Have you ever met somebody who comes and tells you their own ideology about Christianity or their own belief of what they believe how God is? And yet we just go straight to the word and we can find out how the character of God is when you go straight to the word. So we don't have to listen to somebody else's belief. We just have to go straight to the word of God. And they were strict this way. They had adherence to the word of God. They were strong and they were decisive. They didn't want to veer from that. They wanted to make sure that they were teaching their people the word of God. Reading precept by precept, line by line. They wanted to make sure that they were giving them the word of God. But the Lord here says, I know your works. Meaning you are decisive and you're strong. Your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false so we as a church we have to recognize what is the true gospel there's a there was a gospel i was hearing yesterday 
And I heard this gospel yesterday. And when I was listening to this gospel yesterday, my goodness, everybody in the place seemed pleased, like there's hope for me. But it was a wrong doctrine. It was a wrong gospel that was being preached. It wasn't the truth of God's word. It was something to bait them into a different belief system that would eventually place them in a place of torment. It was unbelievable because I was sitting there and in my spirit I was troubled. But I have to be obedient and stay quiet. And so I remained quiet. But when it was time to go to the gathering, that was the time to be able to minister one-on-one with the people who are listening to this false gospel. And so we have to stick to the word of God. The lives of individuals depend on our obedience to preach the gospel. And so they had a common dislike. There was, we have this common dislike for false teaching. And so Christ is commending this church because they too didn't like false teaching. They too were aware of all these other gospels that were being preached, but none of it was the truth. So he endured. They endured with patience and did not bear with those who are evil and tested those who call themselves apostles. A lot of people will call themselves pastors, but they're not. A lot of people will call themselves apostles, but they're not. A lot of people will call themselves leaders, but they lead them on a different path. So we're well aware of the type of messages that are being preached out there. So Christ commends this church and he commends them and says, I'm happy with the way you are holding yourself. I'm happy with the way you are constructing yourself. I, I'm proud of the way you are handling this very ordeal because Christ doesn't like it, neither should we. Verse three says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. They're going through incredible persecution, but they won't compromise. They're going through incredible persecution but they won't compromise and let things come into the church that compromises our belief. Churches compromise all the time. They, they, they really do. They compromise all the time. They let things come into the church yeah. just so that they can fill the church. Yeah. And when you want to fill the church, you give them a sugar-coated candy gospel that will eventually make them sick. Now, if you eat too much candy, what happens? You get sick. You get sick. So if I'm giving you candy and candy and it's sweet, nothing's to you, and it's just going to eventually make you sick. You won't grow from it. So here they are enduring and going through the trials and understanding that people want their church to close down, that there's people that want to persecute the Christians. There's people that are there in that particular city that want to close them down, that want to light, just light the whole place on fire and destroy it. But they are patient. They know that the the Lord God is with them. He's protecting them and they are patient. Not that they're not going through persecution. It's hard to go through persecution. It's hard to suffer as a Christian, but yet they're willing patiently to go through this very thing. And he says they are doing it for his namesake and you have not grown weary. You know, our Sunday school teachers at times grow weary and we see it, but we commend you because you don't give up. We commend you because you sign up to, to, to participate and to volunteer and help in doing the children's ministry. So today I want to thank you for not growing weary. Amen. It's a tough ministry. It's a hard ministry. Don't get, we can hear you in there and you're teaching. But do you know that Christ is happy the fact that you are not growing weary, that you're showing up the next Sunday and teaching these kids the oracles of God. Why? Because our kids ain't even listening. But yet you don't grow weary. 
you come to church and you know why you come to church because you have love for Christ and you have love for the children and you have love for the word of God and you're going to teach one of them that might get it in there. You never know who you're teaching in there that one might, not, but might be a pastor, one might be a visionary, one might be a missionary, one might do the works of the Lord, just one of them. But we don't give up. And you haven't given up. And Christ wants you to know that because of his namesake, he is proud that you have not grown weary. So we're strong in the things of God. There are things that happen to us individually where sometimes we just don't want to do church anymore. But because we love God and we wake up in the morning and we can breathe and we can see and we have food on our table, we know that we know that we know that we got to get to the house of God to praise God, to thank him every day of the week, to thank him for every hour and every minute of the day for our kids, our family, our wife, our husband, and we got to get to church to praise him and thank God for the blessing that he has given us. And we won't grow weary. And we won't and we stay and strict to the word of God and listen to the word of God. It's the commending that God gives us. He, he commends us for this very thing. He's, I'm glad you have a common dislike for false teaching. I'm proud of you that you're not growing weary. I'm proud of you that you understand the pastor's responsibilities. I'm proud of you because as a pastor, you're standing behind here, living up to those responsibilities. I'm proud of this very church. But then in verse 4, he says this. But. Someone say but. but. I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Well, well, Lord, you just, you just commended us for, for the life that we live. You, you're proud of the way, but, but you say, but I have this one thing against you. And now it's time to criticize this particular church. It's time to get critical with them. You know, sometimes we're not good at taking criticism. Sometimes we don't want to be criticized. We just say, let's just walk in love. Don't, don't criticize me. Come on, Pastor. We just want to express the love of Christ. But Christ is with a hammer, and he is like that lion that says, I have this one thing against you, that you have lost, you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's like this. You've been married. If you've been married, you can understand this. You, you, you are courting your wife. You're courting your future wife and you have an incredible love for your wife. After you get married, everything's wonderful. Then all of a sudden, the flame starts to die down a little bit. All of a sudden, you're not holding hands anymore. All of a sudden, you're not taking those walks anymore. All of a sudden, you ain't kissing goodbye and hello. You ain't doing none of that no more. It's just grown cold because... It became a routine to be married. It became a routine to go to work and come home and see the dinner there. It became a routine to mess with the kids. It became a, a routine over and over and over again that everything just began to get cold. Yes. Until somebody comes and says, you better heat things up because you're losing her. You better heat things up because you're losing him. You've just grown cold. And you get cold with those very things and Christ understands, wait a minute, this church in particular is sticking to the word of God. This church in particular here is decisive and they're strong in the word of God. And they hate false teachers and they understand the truth of the gospel. But how did they fall out of love with me? It's like this. 
when you get saved, and I know all of you are saved in this place. Now, when you got saved, you were on fire for Christ. You were so on fire for the Lord, you wanted to do everything right then and there for God. But after a couple of years go by, all of a sudden, you know what? I go to that church, but you know what? It is kind of far. I used to love the worship there, but I don't know. They're kind of off the pitchy a little bit now. Uh, Pastor, you know, he, he gives a good word, but, you know, he just, it's just, you're just basically reading off the scripture over and over and over again. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Why? Because you are growing cold to the things of God. It just becomes routine. Even though you're in the ministry, it just becomes routine over and over again. You forget why you're doing it. You just think you're doing it for yourself now. I'm in the ministry. I'm feeding the homeless. But I feel good because I feed the homeless other than doing it for the glory of God and realize why you are feeding the homeless because you could be homeless. You could be sick. You could be dead. But God and his grace and his mercy keeps you alive. And you forget about that love that you first had for him. And it grows cold. All of a sudden when we have to have a church meeting and you were there for all the meetings, Always showing up on time for the meetings, but when we have time for church meetings and church prayer, nobody shows up. It's like, where is the love? But the problem is that for this church, Christ wants them to be challenged. So as a church, we need to challenge you a little bit. And so the love grows cold. The love grows cold. You've abandoned this, this love that you had. You've abandoned this love. And you're like, you're not there for the events at church. I'm not talking about this particular in, in, in particular, okay? I'm not talking about my church. <laughs> but I'm talking about the church that operates in a manner like this. You, you don't, everything is too far now. Um, all of a sudden when you get home and you get that couch and you're on that couch forget it, you're not getting up that's it it's over I'm done I know they need me at church I know I should be at the church but and you have this love that has grown cold for the things of God and, and you just grow cold. But after the sharp criticism there, he says in verse 5, he says, remember. Someone say remember. remember. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Have you ever just gone back to where, and we, we used to teach this in, in, the, in, the, in the marriage ministry when I was running the marriage ministry. I was teaching the marriage ministry. I said, well, let's go back to where your first when your marriage all of a sudden started to fall apart, can you go back to that particular time? Can you remember what it was that day or that, that argument, whatever it was, where everything seemed to fall apart? Let's go back to that particular time. In other words, you need to go back to the very root cause of what drew you to be so cold. Yes, that's right. You go back to the very beginning. You go back to that one place in time where you remember everything started to fall apart. And then he says this, Repent. A church you don't hear too often, I'm a word you don't hear too often in church, is right. repent. Yes. 
He says, and do not do the works you did and do the works you did at first. You knew how you felt. You know how you came to be. You know how God saved you. You know that moment when you, you, you just you recognize in your life that you've been forgiven of all your sins and how you felt to be forgiven. Remember that time that you cried all alone? Remember those moments where you're just at home and you're crying and thanking God that he saved you and he's yeah. really truly forgiven you for all the filth that you've done yeah. and you just cry out to God and you just thank him? Why me? Why me? He's saying, remember where you've fallen and go back and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. What is the lampstand? I want you to go to verse 20, 1, chapter 1, verse 20. It's right above, the, right above where we are. Right above where we are. What is the lampstand? 20 says, and for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the what? Angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are what? The seven churches. So he's saying this, even though you're strong in the word of God, even though you're decisive and you're strict and you have strict adherence to God's word, and I know your works, but if you're not doing it for my glory and you're doing it for your glory, I'm going to remove that lampstand from you. In other words, he's not going to recognize it as a church. Do you know that people have church all the time that God's not behind? There's people that have church, but there is no lampstand there. There's people who call themselves pastors, but they aren't God's pastor. He's removed his lampstand because of the things that they do, the compromising that they do. So they preach false doctrine. And you're okay with letting somebody come in here and preach false doctrine behind this pulpit. And you're okay with, with being lukewarm. And you're okay with, with being cold about the things of God. There is no fire in you. And you're not remembering what I've done for you. And you just become... In this, in this circular, circular routine when it comes to church. It's just a routine now. And he says, repent from it. He says, repent. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you what? Repent. Pastoring. And I remember one, I remember hearing about this. You can be a pastor and and then not be a pastor. You could, you could actually be pastoring at a church and giving the word of God, but God's already removed that lampstand from that church. And the problem is that the congregation don't even know it. You don't even know it and realize it, that the lampstand has been removed from that particular church. Because you could have church and not be a church. You could have church and bear no fruit whatsoever. And there's no challenging messages, and there's no radical change in your life. When the church doesn't challenge you, I believe that you all suffer. You need to be challenged. You need to remember what Christ has done for you in your life, where you were before, and where you are now. And so he continues. He continues with the criticism. He tells them to repent. But then he says here in verse 6, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Well, who are the Nicolaitans? They were a follower of a man named Nicholas who believed in 
sex in the temple, who believed in sacrificing food to false idols and eating them in the temple. Sex in the temple, eating in the temple. But we're Christians. We believe in the grace of God. We believe God's grace is all over us. So yeah, we're mixing this in, in this, we're mixing it in together. And yet, he commends them one more time and says, this you have though. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Why? Because the Nicolaitans were people who abused God's, God's grace. There's a lot of churches that abuse God's grace. They pervert God's grace as do the Nicolaitans here in reference. Ephesus was a church historically where Greek gods and, and worship were all around. And there was this Greek goddess Artemis there that they worshipped. And this guy Nicholas in particular. And he had followers. And they heard the gospel. And yet they perverted God's grace. There's people today in the church that really do pervert God's grace. They do things they know that they shouldn't be doing, but they say, well, I'm under God's grace. I'm living a certain way, and yeah, I don't go to church, but I'm living under God's grace. I can do what I want. It's God's grace, and it's mercy. I'm still living the way I was before. There's really no radical change. It's because I believe in God's grace and God's mercy. And that's a problem, because there's no radical change in the life of someone who says he believes. A lot of people can call themselves Christians, but they're not. A lot of them can call themselves believers, but they don't believe. There is this radical change that takes place when you know that you are saved. Amen. And you do works for God because you love him. Yes. And you have this close relationship that was once severed with the father that you have closely now, intimately now, that you work relentlessly for the glory of God in everything that you do. This church, this church in Ephesus lost their zeal. They lost their warmth. They lost their motion. They lost, they lost everything that they, they were just basically going through the motions. But yet Christ tells them, but I, we have this common dislike for people who abuse the grace of God. There are people that we know that absolutely abuse the grace of God. They live one way and they show up to church and they go back and they live like they've always lived before. They knew Christ. People can have a church experience and not be changed. You can come into church and have an incredible experience here at the church, but go home and never be changed. You can come in and feel the presence of God as an unbeliever, but go home and never be changed. People have an experience with God all the time, but they don't leave changed. They leave blinded. They don't repent. They're not listening to the gospel message. They have their ears shut to it. But boy, they love to come and sing. And they love to raise their hands and they have this incredible experience. But when they leave, there is no radical change. They continue to abuse the grace of God. So Christ commends them one more time and says, but you have, you have, you have this. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
There were people who worshipped Balaam. There were people who worshipped the god of the goddess Artemis. But yet they also wanted to worship Christ as well. They wanted to have a duo worship. As I spoke last week, Christ is worthy of our worship. There's nothing else that you can bring in to say I'm worshiping this as well. It doesn't work that way. He alone is worthy of our worship. Yes. Amen. He alone. But at the end, he gives them this. Verse 7, he says this. He comforts them this way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is what we speak about when, as a Christian, and we, we spoke about this at Bible study. One of the great signs of your salvation is that you begin to hate the things that God hates. You begin to love the things that God loves. Everything is more, everything is so beautiful when you go outside. You can see things clearly and the beauty of God's creation when you go outside because God made it. And then also you can see some of the ugly things of this world that you despise because God hates it. And so it changes your life. It alters your life. You become different. You become a different person. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's a, a sign of your radical change for the glory of God. So today, as we partake of the elements here, and as we get ready for communion, if this is you, you love the word of God, you stick to the word of God, you're strict in the things of the, God, of the word, but you know that your love for him has grown cold. This is the time for you to reflect on your life and your relationship with the Lord. It's a time for you to just look in the mirror and call out to the Lord and repent. And then you come up and partake of the elements after after doing this thing, you, you come up and you remember the blood sacrifice. You remember the beating that he took for us and the work that he did for us by imputing his righteousness to us. And he, we exchange, we give him our filth, our wretchedness, and we receive his righteousness. So at this time, before you come up, this side is the wine. This side is the, is the juice. I want you to take the time to reflect and pray and seek God for yourself if that is you. Good Lord, a light of fire. We used to sing that song here. Set a fire. Set a fire in me, Lord. That I may never, never grow cold. So as I pray and I close in prayer with this message here, we're going to partake of the elements this section can come here and then this section can go there. Our deacons will escort you. I want you to pray with me. And then we'll partake of the elements. You go back and you hold it and we'll pray corporately together. And then we'll close this service partaking in the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Father, as we remember the person and the work of Christ Jesus today. 
And as we read this letter that comes from the Son of God to the church in Ephesus and how he commended the church for their strict adherence to the word, standing behind the truth. But then the letter makes a shift and it shifts into criticism about those who are in ministry, those who are believers, but yet their love for the Savior grows cold. Things come in, life comes in, illness, death, financial problems come in, and it extracts love from us because we worry about things in this world, how we're going to live, how we're going to survive. Father, help us to remember that Jesus is the source of our life. He's everything. Help our love never to grow cold. Lord, if that's us, we repent. We repent. We turn from it. Light a fire deep within us. Deep within us that our heart burns to serve. Our heart burns to give you glory in all that we do. And we pray this today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please come forth and partake of the elements. Hold on to it. And then we will go back and pray together.